You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. There's no one like you, Jesus. We give you our praise here today, God. We give you our thanks for everything that you've done. God, for your goodness, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your presence that we feel in this place here right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Hallelujah, Jesus. It feels good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. He inhabits the praises of his people. He dwells in the praises of his people. And so when we begin to magnify him, amen, that dwelling, it comes to the forefront. Everything else gets pushed aside. All the worries and the cares that are dwelling in our mind get overshadowed by the indwelling of his spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Man, Pastor and Sister Carter, they're in Newfoundland, so pray for them as they travel. Pray for their services, that God would just have a mighty move in Newfoundland. Amen. We're looking forward to the praise reports from there. And in his stead, he's asked me to deliver the word of the Lord here to, to you today, to you fine folk. Amen. And uh, it is so good, amen, to, to be with you here this morning to speak the word of the Lord. Amen. One more time. Can we just lift the name of the Lord up on high? He deserves all the praise. He deserves all the glory. Hallelujah, Lord. God, we've come for you, Jesus. You're the only thing that matters. Lord, we haven't come for our own, Lord, our own agenda, Jesus. We haven't come for our own things, Jesus, just for you. We want to get ourselves in line with your presence. God, we want to Lord, we want to get ourselves into a place where you can minister to our heart, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. This heart that's sometimes stony, Lord, I pray that you would turn into a heart of clay that you can mold and shape here this morning. Use it for your glory, God. Use it for your will. Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. For a few moments here this morning, I'm going to speak to you on this topic. Broken. Broken. You may be seated. You did that on purpose. You ever said that? I bet as a kid you did. One of your siblings or your friends clobbers you and says quickly, it was an accident, it was an accident. And you quickly grab the affected area and say through tears, you did that on purpose. You were immediately convinced that it was not an accident. It was a deliberate, well-thought-out plan initiated just, just to harm you, just to bring you harm. Our kids react completely different to getting hurt. My son, Levi, he'll come to us and want to tell us all about it. But my daughter, Sadie, she'll go into her room and she needs a few moments to gather herself before she can talk about it. We all respond differently to hurt. Whether the hurt was brought about intentionally or accidentally, we all have this 
ingrained into each of us a fight or flight method. And to be honest, most of us don't know how to fly, so we just go right into fighting. You did that on purpose. When I was a kid, I got onto my bike and started riding around the, our house on the valley road. The valley road is just that. It's a valley. Hills on both sides of the road. And I got going along, not paying any attention to where I was going, trying to get the attention of my sister, waving to her, trying to get whatever attention that I could. And all of a sudden, I found myself going over the embankment by my dad's garage. And the next thing that I knew is that I was no longer on my bike. The bike was on me. And my arm was behind my back. I was laying on it. I got up and I walked my bike to the house. And when I got by the front of the house, my sisters rushed out to see what, how I was doing. And to be honest, I wasn't sure. I was just in shock about the entire thing. I never cried until mom and dad told me, I think it's broken. That word. I mean, who wants to be broken? The very mention of the word shoots off signals in our brain that bring with it an entourage of thoughts. And what I share with you today, it comes from my heart. It comes from a place that God has brought me to here over the last little while. God wants to use your brokenness to bring about his glory in all the earth. Yes, it's true. God uses broken people. People get mad at other people. People get mad at the church for not being what they think it should be, for not doing what they believe it should. But let me let you in on a little secret here this morning. Are you ready? The church is a group of imperfect people trying their best to live for a perfect God. And God uses those imperfect people to orchestrate in symphony his perfect plan. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. Some of you guys got a little bit too much delight out of that. So let's just get that detail out of the way. It speaks to all of us here this morning. We're not perfect. We've made it the elephant in the room at times in Christian circles. Don't let anyone know you face tough things in this human experience. You've got to put on your tough face and just get on with it. Don't let anyone know you've had your face dug into the carpet crying out to God because life has dealt you a bitter hand. Don't let anyone see that you're broken. If we were all transparent here this morning, we all have experienced enough life that we have had our own encounter about being broken. We've faced broken relationships and broken promises. Turn back to your neighbor and say, it's okay. God's got a plan. At the onset of the word, we see this story of creation. It's beautiful. We are introduced to a world that is formless and void, enthralled in chaos. And at the word of the Lord, order ensues. God opens his mouth and his creation obeys his command. He takes this broken, chaotic world and produces it by his spoken word to bring about his purpose, his plan. He reaches down into the dust and forms mankind from it. And with the same breath he used to speak into existence, planets and galaxies, he breathes into mankind. And life as we know it, for the very first time, comes into being. 
And from that point on, humanity has been left with a choice. Do I take the breath that he has placed in me, that life that he has given me, and serve him with it? We can read throughout the word of God that he has always desired to use us, his creation. But time after time, humanity failed him because you know what? All the generations before us were not perfect either. Generations go by while God watches on and along comes a man named Abram who has a heart after God. No, he's not perfect either. But he truly wants God. And the Lord changes his name to Abraham, which means father of nations, and tells him that through him, because he loves the Lord and wants to do his best to follow after the Lord, that through him, he would build up a nation throughout the earth that would be his. With nothing short of a miracle, God opens the aged womb of Abraham's wife, Sarah, and she gives birth to a baby boy named Isaac. Isaac grows and his wife gives birth to twins. When the second baby was coming out of the womb, he came out clinging onto the ankle of his brother. And so they called him Jacob, meaning overreacher or supplanter. Little did they know that out of Jacob would come the nation of Israel. I want to go through his story here this morning because in his story, we read of struggles and trials and tests that break him. His life provides a picture perfect picture of this thing called brokenness in our lives. Jacob was a man that wrestled with everyone, always looking for a fight. (laughs) Maybe he wasn't always looking for it, but he always wound up into a fight. He wrestled with his brother as he was coming out of the womb. Jacob wrestled with his own desire for the birthright and the blessing. And so through deception, he schemed to get his way and thought that he had won. Yet one wrestling match only led to another An additional one with his father-in-law Laban, who was a schemer and deceiver himself. And finally, Jacob returns in Genesis chapter 32, and that's where we're going to turn to here today. Genesis chapter 32, to the promised land for a final wrestling match, this time with God. And God broke him. Let's face it, we all wrestle with God at one time or another. We wrestle with his will. We wrestle with his ways. We wrestle with his word. And sometimes, ever so secretly, we doubt and we wonder what he's up to in our lives. We want to take over the owner's manual and change a few chapters, make a few tweaks to his will. And yet God never loses a wrestling match. So can I ask you here this morning, what are you wrestling with today? Whatever it is, I promise God's not giving up. He is working his purpose into your life. But I will tell you this. He doesn't always bring about the tests and trials that we go through in life. I know he gets a lot of shade. I know we throw a lot of things his way and blame them for everything that happens. Sometimes we blame the devil for everything that happens. But let me tell you this. Sometimes life just stinks. Can I say that? I'm going to say it anyways. Sometimes life just stinks. But I will tell you that he never wastes a moment. He uses brokenness. He uses broken people to bring about his perfect plan. And so let's enter the ring of Jacob's tussle with God and tangle with God for a moment and settle the score on brokenness. Jacob teaches three ways God uses 
brokenness. God blesses brokenness. First of all, God is present, regardless of how we feel. Genesis chapter 32, verse 1 to 2, it says, Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him, Jacob said when he saw them, This is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanam. Psalm 34, verse 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who have a crushed spirit. You aren't alone in your brokenness, no matter how you feel. His word doesn't lie. He is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who have a crushed spirit. King David said in his broken state in Psalm 51, verse 17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God that wilt not despise. As we meet Jacob today, we find that he returns to Canaan and his spirit is being broken. God has a plan for Jacob, but Jacob loves control of his own life. I'm not saying that he did not know God. Yet whether Jacob knew it or not, he had never stopped wrestling with God. He wanted God's blessings. Oh, how he wanted God's blessings. And that's why he found himself in the place that he is in, because he wanted them his own way. Perhaps this picture will help you understand Jacob. He is like an unshelled walnut. Okay, everybody with me? Unshelled walnut. He had a tough outer shell that had to be broken. Every one of us are like an unshelled walnut. We're all a little nuts. We have an outer shell. An exterior that the Bible calls the flesh that keeps the fruit of God's Spirit hidden in the hollows of our heart. Yet God uses many things to break that outer shell and bring about the best in us. The Lord knew the potential of Jacob, but also knew how stubborn and self-focused he was. And the Lord allows Jacob's stubbornness to break him. Don't miss this point right here. God is always present in your brokenness. He's like a surgeon. He is always present from the beginning to the end of every surgery. Every painful incision is intentional and purposeful. He looks intently into every detail of the masterful circumstances of your life. And with, with laser-fine precision, he makes every move to ultimately remove what is unhealthy and bring healing. He does not waste the struggle. So notice what leaps off the page at us. When we read through that portion of Scripture again, it says, Now as Jacob went on his way, Genesis chapter 32, the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Mahanaim means double camped. What Jacob is saying is that God is camping out with me. He's made my place his place. Psalm 34, verse 7, it gives us promise from the Lord. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. It reads this in verse 7. We, we discover what Jacob was feeling on the inside. In verse 7, it says, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Jacob was headed back down the road to Canaan. It was a broken road. It had been about 20 years since Jacob had come down that road. His mind was fixated on the past instead of the God who was presently with him. Therefore, he was greatly afraid and distressed, the Bible says. How about you? 
Is the mile marker you are on at this season of your life making you feel uneasy and apprehensive? If so, in your brokenness, God wants you to know that He has set up camp around you. He is present no matter how you feel. God will never allow you to go through brokenness alone. His word does not lie. The second way that God blesses us through brokenness is this. God's, God has a redemptive plan. Not a backup plan. He has a redemptive plan. Genesis chapter 32, verse 6, it continues the story. It says, the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to meet your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. It is interesting that despite the fact that Jacob had a divine encounter with a group of angels that God dispatched to minister to him, that he still struggled with doubt. Jacob was looking for a backup plan. I mean, if you had 400 men heading your way, do you know what that looks like? 400 people heading just to meet you. That's an army. And so in response, verse 17 to 19 tells us that Jacob immediately did several things. First, he divided his people, his flocks, his herds. And then he pleads out to God to save him, to help him. And third, he prepared a parade of presents. Do you see what Jacob is doing? He is doing what we all have a tendency to do. We pray between our plans. I call this a plan sandwich. It's not as delicious. Do you know what a prayer between a bunch of plans generated by fear and worry does? It leaves a bad taste on the mouth. You know you have gone to the prayer deli if you pray and worry all at the same time. The only thing that's processed is worry, fear, and doubt. God, I know you've got this under control, right? <laughs> That's where Jacob went with this whole thing. He starts preparing everything, and then he prays to God, please deliver me, and then he goes back into planning things about how he's going to, how he's going to face his brother after all, these, all, after all this time. And he prayed a little, worried a lot. In reality, he prayed like God has a plan, but he trusted in his own plan more. He prepared an insane gift parade for Esau with wave after wave of gifts. And he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. He said that in verse 20. Did you hear that? I will appease. He was trusting in his gifts more than God. His prayer was full of panic. He said he trusted God, but he didn't act like it. Look at the gift list that he prepared to cool down his brother's hot temper. It would equate to almost three quarters of a million dollars in today's money. What did your sibling get you for Christmas this year? Whew. He remembered that the last words of his brother to him were basically, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob panicked. And in this moment, Jacob is struggling with who to trust, himself or God. Are you currently working on your backup plan for your problem but came to church to pray today if for no other reason but for good measure? You sneak in to participate in worship and sit long enough to say you've heard the sermon but you were already developing your exit, your back out plan. 
Because that's usually what our backup plan looks like, a back out plan. How do I get out of this unscathed? And like Jacob, God is wanting to teach you to trust his plan instead of your backup plan. He is using this place of brokenness to be the perfect stage for his beautiful plan. So let him in. Let him in. Let him remodel. Let him mold together the broken pieces into this beautiful masterpiece. George Mueller, an evangelist, he once said, the most important moment of prayer is 15 minutes after we pray. It's then when you discover whether or not you just prayed in faith. Which brings me to the third way that God blesses us in brokenness. He makes us realize who he is. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, it says, And crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. After Jacob's prayer meeting followed by a lavish gift parade, God made him realize who and what he was really wrestling with. Notice how God sets up this whole wrestling ring. First of all, he had him cross the stream called Jabbok. This word Jabbok means pouring out or emptying. Jacob how to empty himself. Secondly, he had come empty-handed. He sent across whatever he had. All that was in his possession, he sent across. The way he met God was the way that he left Canaan years ago, empty-handed. And thirdly, the Bible tells us that he left him alone. No one else involved. Jacob couldn't tap out. All the stuff he depended on was out of the way. God prepared the wrestling ring. Because before he would return to Canaan, to his home, he would have to be stripped down to the same condition in which he left. No wealth, no family, no servants, no bodyguards, just him and God. He sends all of his gifts on ahead, and then he waits as night falls. It was then, in the waiting in the darkness, that we read, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. This is the first recorded wrestling match in history. Long before there was Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Andre the Giant. I know my references are outdated. I don't keep up on wrestling pop culture. But before all of them, there was Jacob, the patriarch, who wrestled with God. The appearance of God is called a theophany. It is a physical representation of God in the Old Testament. Do you know what's happening here? Jacob didn't recognize who he was wrestling with. I don't know who he thought he was wrestling with. Perhaps he thought he was wrestling with Esau, who had hunted him down and jumped on him from the shadows. He hadn't seen Esau in roughly 20 years. But that's not who he was wrestling with at all. He was wrestling with God. The prophet Hosea mentions that Jacob had been wrestling with God all of his life. This is what Hosea said in chapter 12. He said, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, And in his mature strength, he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and implored his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. God needed to break Jacob in order to change him. He he was a self-contained and self-made man on the run for his life, and now something changed. And in verse 25, we find that suddenly God touched the socket of his thigh, and suddenly disabled him. And any fight, most would would have suddenly realized that they were done for. That's it. 
Yet God did not kill him. Instead, God revealed something to him. Instead of striving with God, he simply hung on to God. He actually held on to God as he was in this submission hold. Do you know what a submission hold is? Have you ever wrestled before? I'm sure you probably have. It's basically that moment when someone says, Uncle, I give up. <laughs> Let go, you're hurting me. What started out as a wrestling match with God turned into Jacob holding on to God and never letting go. He knows in a submission hold, he knows that he's in this submission hold, and suddenly he realizes something. He knows that this is a spiritual moment because his opponent isn't after death. He's after something greater. He's after life. And realizing this divine moment, in this divine wrestling match, he immediately asks God to bless him. Amazingly, God does. And he renames him. Instead of being called Jacob, that means trickster, supplanter, or cheater, the Lord names him Israel, that means God perseveres. God perseveres. Above all of our plans, above all of our backup plans, it's the Lord that perseveres. His name would always be a reminder to him that in his most broken state, he wrestled with God, and God was the one who persevered. That morning, Jacob walked away with a limp, but more than that, he walked away with a new name, a new walk. God has a plan for your brokenness. It's to get you to the point where you lean on him. When we come face to face with our own brokenness, we discover how much we really need the Lord. His word says, my grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I thought I could have the music come back at this time, just as I come to a close. If you were in the series my wife and I did on being overcomers, then you've heard this story that I derived from Max Lucado's book, Anxious for Nothing, but I want to share it with you again here this morning just as we come to a close. I think of it this way. Suppose your dad is the world's best orthopedic surgeon. People travel from distant countries for him to treat them. Regularly, he changes damaged joints for healthy ones. With the same confidence, the mechanic changes the spark plugs in a car. Your dad removes and replaces hips, knees, and shoulders. And at age 10, you're a bit too young to comprehend accomplishments of a renowned surgeon, but you're not too young to stumble down the stairs and twist your ankle. You roll around on the floor and you scream for help. You're weeks away from your first soccer ball game. Come on. There's no time for crutches. No time for limping. You need a healthy ankle. And yours is anything but that. Into the room walks your dad. Still wearing his surgical scrubs, he removes your shoe, peels back the sock, reveals the injury. You've grown a, a bump the size of a tennis ball on your ankle. Anxiety kicks in as soon as you see that. Dad, I'll never walk again. No, you will. No one can help me. I can. No one knows what to do. I do. No, you don't. <laughs> 
Your dad lifts his head and asks you a question. Do you know what I do for a living? Actually, you don't. You know he goes to the hospital every day. You know that people call him doctor. Your mom thinks that he's smart. But you really don't know what your father does. And so he says, as he places a bag of ice on your ankle, it's time for you to learn. If we could all stand. The next day, he's waiting for you in the school parking lot after classes. Hop in. I want you to see what I can do. He drives you to his hospital office, shows you the constellation of diplomas that are on his wall. Adjacent to them is a collection of awards and includes words like distinguished and honorable. He hands you a manual of orthopedic surgery that bears his name. You wrote this? I did. His cell phone rings. After the call, he announces, we're off to surgery. You scrub up and you follow him into the operating room on your crutches. And during the next few minutes, you have a ringside seat for a procedure in which he reconstructs an ankle. He is the commandant of the operating room. He never hesitates or seeks advice. He just does it. And one of the nurse whispers, your dad is the best. And as the two of you ride home that evening, you look at your father. You see him in a different light. If he can conduct orthopedic surgery, he can likely treat a swollen ankle. And so you ask, do you think I'll be okay? Yes, you'll be fine. And this time, you believe him. Your anxiety decreases as your understanding of your father increases. Somebody hear, this, hear me this morning. Your anxiety over your brokenness decreases as your understanding of your heavenly father increases. If you are broken here this morning, you're in good company. The church was not built by perfect people. It was built by ordinary imperfect people who God used in extraordinary ways to bring about his perfect plan into this world. And he wants to take your brokenness and use it so that his glory can be known throughout all the world. So the world will look at you and realize that only God could take these broken pieces of your life and create something so beautiful. Let me give you the bad news here this morning. I'll just pull off the band-aid. Yes, it's broken. But the good news is, he can make you whole. He has come to bind up the brokenhearted. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. And so here this morning, as we begin to sing, I welcome us to come and call out his name from your state of brokenness, from wherever you're at here this morning in this season of your life. I want you to come to this altar and throw up your hands and just begin to magnify him for who he is. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Hallelujah, Jesus, he did it all for us. Hallelujah, Lord, so that the brokenhearted could come to him and their wounds could be healed, their wounds could be bound by him. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come and have your way here this morning. Our hearts are open to you, Jesus. God, I just pray that you would take this brokenness, Lord. Use it for your glory, God. Use it for your purpose and your plan. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.